0: Well, uh, I want to start off with a little bit of a ministry report. Uh, Becky and I have been gone a lot, and um, last month, uh, last month, we were in uh, Northern Indiana to do an, an outreach that we do every year where we go to a Vietnam, it's actually all veterans, but the most of them are Vietnam veterans, but we go to a veterans outreach in Northern Indiana. It used to be, uh, uh, there's one in Florida and there's one in Indiana that both think they're the biggest and they don't know which one, but it used to be an event that drew eight to 10,000 people. And it's a little bit like, and I know there's only a few in this place who would, be old enough to know what Woodstock was. Anybody know what Woodstock was? Well, this event is sort of a Woodstocky sort of feeling at times in that it's a concert, it's camping, 10,000 people camping out together. There's a lot of beer. There's also some other variety of things they take in during the week. And uh, I praise God because Uh, we have the privilege of, in this outreach, of being in the very center of all that. And a friend of mine, uh, an evangelist friend of mine I went to Bible college with, 18 years ago he started feeding all these veterans breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that tent you see right there is in the center of the camp. It's called the Good News Tent. And because he's been feeding people 18 years, he has such favor. We have been moved to the center of the camp, right next to the big American flag, which is the center point of the camp. We are right there in the middle of it. The good news Jesus tent is in the middle. And uh, so we feed these veterans, and they come. And here's the beauty of it. And uh, you could put, we about, uh, Go back What I'm sorry. Anyway, we, have, we come together. Uh, there's about, there's some, some pastors and different Christians from churches from seven states come to be a part of this. And some people from this church have gone to be a part of it this last couple of years. Now you can go to the next one. So anyway, it's a lot of work. And even though this event's getting a little bit smaller because they're getting older and they're, they're literally dying off. And... Um, We even have World War II veterans that come. And I don't... Yeah, see the man in the middle on the right in the golf cart? He's a World War II veteran. I don't know how old that man is. But we feed these guys. And even though the event is getting a little smaller, we are not getting smaller, we're getting bigger. We are feeding as many people as ever, if not more. And so last month we fed 6,700 meals. But here's the beauty of the whole thing. When you feed people breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they hang around your tent all day long. (laughs) And we talk to them about Jesus. And so Becky and I have had the privilege of going to this for the last four years and telling other people about Jesus. You can go to the next one. Uh, And the the beautiful thing is, when, when they hang at your tent all day long, The ministry that takes place is so beautiful. And we're seeing each year more and more of these veterans getting saved. And we saw many get saved this year and uh, pray with people to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And um, I have to be a little careful. I could just burst into tears because that's becoming my favorite outreach that we do. But here's the cool thing. Here's a really cool, special thing about it. We just—they don't have long. These men are the, the Vietnam guys. They're all about 77 years old, and I feel such an urgency. Now is the time to reach them. Well, true, and so we were just so bold this year to tell them about Jesus, and many of them got saved. And. Uh, it's just such a privilege, and uh, beautiful ministry. You see a couple faces there you might know, but um, you know I am so excited. There's a scripture I want to share, and this is not my message, so this does not come off on my preaching time. Okay, that's how that works, by the way. And it's not going to come up. It's not going to come up on the screen, by the way. But the Bible says in Psalm seventy-one, fifteen. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. My mouth will tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long. Those are the greatest days for a Christian. To come to the end of the day, And be able to say, my mouth spoke of your salvation all day long. I love that scripture. And it doesn't happen every day. A lot of things have to come together for that to happen. But I love that scripture because this outreach in particular, when we go on campus, it works. When we do this outreach, that's what happens. We sit there from 6 in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, sometimes drinking coffee with the guys till 8 at night. Our mouth gets to talk about Jesus and salvation all day long. So that's why I love that outreach. And so, you know, I have to say, um, you guys don't see me as often around here anymore. But I'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, we've been doing this. I've been in ministry since ni- January 1984. And so I've been an evangelist a long time. And I have to, at this stage, just tell you the truth. Um, here's how this works. We go and do these kinds of things, or we go and preach on a college campus, or i will tell you about another outreach we do in a minute. And we go and we talk about Jesus all day long, but no one gives us any money. And very few people, now, most of our ministry, college campus, things we do, we don't get a lot of encouragement either. Sometimes it's tough. Now this, this ministry is really turning around, we do get a lot of encouragement. We just walk in that tent and they just hug our neck and just love us. They just love us now as friends. So there's some encouragement in this outreach now, but that's where we need the church. Uh, We come home and then we, we are able, people know who we are and what we do and they get on board with us and that's what makes all that possible. But over my lifetime, my ministry lifetime, things have changed a lot. The landscape has changed. And at this stage of ministry, there's virtually, there's virtually in the modern church no room for the evangelist anymore. I'm just like a dinosaur for most churches. Pastor Mark calls it pop theology of the day. Well, the pop theology of the day doesn't include evangelists. So the last couple of years has become very hard for us to continue to do what we do. And uh, so now we're not only doing our outreach work, we're just having to spend a lot more time showing our faces at other churches where our supporters are, because we don't get invited to speak at those places, but to see our supporters, we go there. So we're gone a lot. That's where we are. We're not home eating bonbons, okay? Let's go on. Now, a couple weeks ago, that was in September. The next slide. A couple weeks ago, we went to San Antonio, Texas, and... We've been preaching on the, uh, the plaza in front of the Alamo for 20 years now. Love to preach there. We we take teams down there sometimes, and you witness and preach all day long or all weekend. You get to the end, everybody compares notes, and we've talked to people from 30 nations. I mean, from 30 states and 20 nations, because they all come there. And so Becky and I just got back a couple of weeks ago from doing that you will notice that more and more of the pictures feature Becky these days. That's because my girl who was once such a shy behind the scenes person has passed me up and she is a better evangelist than me. So we just got back and uh, she was passing out those tracks You can see what a stir she caused there in front of the Alamo. Look at all these guys here over to the left, holding up their tracks. They want everybody to see what they got from that crazy lady in front of the Alamo. So those are the tracks that we pass out right there. Man, they are so fun. Anyway, I said all that to say this. If you stop by the booth, if you stop by our uh, book table tonight, maybe Becky will give you a million dollar bill. So... All right, let's, get, uh, let's preach though, let's preach. And we have newsletters that talk about this last vet outreach, and so Becky can, you brought some, right? And Becky can give you some of those. Oh, I forgot to, we, we you know, our tracks are worth so much that we have to bring them in a safe now. But we are just loaded. I mean, we are just loaded. Everywhere we go, I'm afraid if we get pulled over by a policeman, he's going to think we're a drug dealer. But these, what you see right here, these are Gospels of John. You cannot imagine how popular they are. I've had whole restaurants want them when one waitress had one. So they are fun. Okay, let's preach. Y'all ready for me to preach? Okay, let's go. All right. I want to start off tonight talking about... uh, the first century Jewish wedding customs and ceremonies. And here's how that worked. Ours is very different. So if you think in terms of ours, you will get very confused when you read about it in the Bible. And a lot of Jesus' parables, were talking about that. And um, so here's how the Jewish wedding ceremony and traditions worked. Now. We send out an invitation and say it's going to be on this day, at this time, 2 p.m., so like that. That was not the case for the early Jewish wedding ceremony. And what happened when the two families got together and they basically worked it out and they knew this young man and this young woman are going to get married. Now they are betrothed. They are what we call engaged And that was, unlike our culture, where engagement is like, well, what if you change your mind? Well, you're just redo it. But you know, in that culture, it was a very serious contract at that moment that they were engaged and betrothed. And so what happened at that point, when when the young couple were betrothed, Now, the young man, he left. And he went maybe across town or he went to another village or another city. It could be somewhat far away to where he was going to build the house they were going to live in. And he would begin that process of working on the place for them to live. And he would stay gone a while. No one knew when he was coming back. And if you think of the words of Jesus in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And and I will prepare a place for you and then I will come and get you. That's what he's talking about. And so when the when the groom finally, the young groom finally finished and he was eager to take his bride, he was eager for the wedding to happen, he was eager for the honeymoon, eager for their life together to begin. So maybe toward the end particularly, he's working day and night on the place where they're gonna live. He's preparing the place for them and he may work day and night. And when he got finished, Now there's going to be a wedding, but no one knew when that was, not even the bride. No one knew when that was, but when he got finished, it was time to go and get the bride. And so he would gather. It didn't matter what time of day it was, day or night, he would gather up his friends and they would start and they would go to the bride's house. And there were people who were watching. He should be here by now. He should be here now. He's been working on that place for a year. He's been working on that place for seven months. He should be coming. And they had people watching for him. And then they would shout, the groom is coming. And at that moment, the groom was coming to take his bride. And when that shout went up, the groom is here then. The bride and all her bridesmaids and that wedding party came out and it could be midnight, literally. Could be two in the morning. They would come out and they had torches and they were ready to go because now we're all going to walk back to the groom's house in the dark for the great wedding ceremony that we've been waiting on. And so for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you probably know where I'm going to go. I'm going to preach from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read uh, the first 13 verses. And this verse, uh, this parable is sometimes called the parable of the ten virgins, parable of the ten bridesmaids. I'm using a, a slightly more modern translation tonight because uh, the older translations have some terms that are quite confusing, and I didn't want to have to stop and explain all those. So I'm going to read them tonight. These first 13 verses from Matthew 13. But now you understand the Jewish wedding ceremony. Now this parable can make more sense for you. And then the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus talking, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Verse 6. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Verse 9, But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of you. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Jesus spoke like this all the time. Jesus often referred to this process. And let me just say this. If you understand the Jewish wedding ceremony, then it all makes a lot of sense. Let me just say this. When I read this parable, and lately, and I've been walking with Jesus now 42 or 43, 44 years now, and lately, I'm just so aware of what it was like to begin to study the Bible for myself, to be a self-feeder, not just listen to what my preacher said, but to, to begin to study the Bible. And I remember reading these things as a young man, very young, like 18 years old, reading the New Testament, reading the words of Jesus. And I've always felt this way about this parable. I know there's some things in there that we could unpack and we're gonna talk a little bit about it, but let me just say this. I have always believed, uh, isn't it kind of (laughs) self-explanatory, the main point he's talking about? I mean, doesn't it sort of speak for itself what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying if people are not ready when he comes back, they won't go in. In other words, it's so clear. I'm telling you, the first time I read it, I wasn't like, what are what he's talking about. I knew what he was talking about. It's so clear. The message is, be ready. Right. Watch. Be on the watch for the bridegroom. Be ready. Watch and pray. And Jesus said, for you don't know the day or the hour of my return. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. You know, I had the picture up there of what the oil lamp looked like. The little oil lamp it could have been a small lamp like I had the picture of and you put a little oil on one side and you could light a flame on the other and as long as there's oil in there, you had a flame. Or it could just be a, a stick with rags wrapped around it with oil on them. But as long as there's oil, it would be a torch and you could see where you're going. Those bridesmaids can make it to the, to the groom's house in the dark because they've got their torch, they've got their light, their lamp and it's lit and they've got oil. But you know what? Five of them, didn't have enough oil. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. And I look around me at a culture. I look around me at a world. And I see tons of people who aren't ready. They're not even close to ready. They're not even thinking about it. And so tonight, that's what I want to talk about. Something that, uh, and I could get into what the oil represents. I could get into a lot of detail of uh, them telling the other bridesmaids, go and get oil, and they went to the shop. But the problem was, they just, in other words, you could make it really complicated, or you could just take the obvious message. They weren't ready for the groom. And because they weren't ready for the groom, they were left out of the kingdom of God for eternity. And I preach this, I preach it all over the world. I preach it all the time. What modern people, pop theology of the day as it were, what they no longer understand is the the door to the kingdom of God will suddenly and quickly slam shut and it'll be too late. Jesus said, what will it be like for my return? It will be as in the days of Noah. 120 years, Noah built the ark and told the people, come. 120 years, they just made fun of the old prophet Noah, the old preacher Noah. And then one day, not Noah, one day God shut the door to the ark. I just think for 120 years, they watched the old goofball build the ark. 120 years, he stood out there preaching. 120 years, they thought, what a goofball. Look at this guy. He's out of his mind. And then one day they walked up and was like, why is the door shut? I think that must have made an impression on him. <laughs> He's been telling us to get in there for 120 years while he built it. Now the door's shut. The door to the kingdom of God will suddenly and unexpectedly slam shut and people who are not ready will not make it. Right. People who are half ready will not make it. Let me read you another passage. Jesus talked about this constantly. I'm going to put a bunch of Scriptures up. You can, I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to put them up there so you can see how often He talked about this. But let me just read another. Luke 13, 22-25. As Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as He went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem, someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? That's quite an interesting question. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Listen to his answer. And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. I hope I told you all where this is. This is Luke 13, 22-25. Jesus painted the picture. He said, there's going to be all... Well, when they said to him, Lord, are many people going to be saved? He didn't even answer. He just said, you make sure you get in there. It's basically what he said. You, you work hard to get in to the kingdom of God. Get in the door. And then Jesus said, because there are going to be many people who try to get in the door and they will fail. Whoa, giant misunderstanding possible there. Right now, there's not a single person, I believe this, on planet Earth, if they want to come into the kingdom of God, who can't. They can. So he explains it in the very next verse, verse 25. Why will they try to get into the kingdom? Then you work hard to enter the narrow door of God's kingdom, for many will try and enter but fail. Here's why verse 25. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late and you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you're from. And as long as I've been a preacher, I have such an image of my mind of people banging on the door, wait, let us in, let us in. Please, panic-stricken, terror. They realize what they've done. They've lost their soul, let us in too late. I never knew you. I never knew you, he said. Now I want her to put on another uh, next thing. There you go. Those are some other passages where Jesus spoke about that exact thing, that he will come like a thief in the night. He will come at an hour you don't expect. He will come quickly Those verses are about that, but I'm not going to stop and preach on all those. Okay, let's move on. You can take a picture of that screen, or you can jot them down, whatever you want. There's just some extra verses. So here's here's my point tonight. Jesus, you know, the problem is when we get into this subject, most Christians start arguing about when is it? That's the normal thing. Oh, are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? Are you late mid-trib? Are you pan-millennial? They start talking about this, all this crazy, confusing stuff. I'm telling you, I've been reading the book for 40 years. Jesus never taught us to try to figure out the day and hour. What he taught us was be ready all the time. That's what Jesus taught. Be ready for you don't know the day or the hour. So that's what he meant when he talked about readiness. Be ready. And uh, I have to say, at this stage of my life, um, the older I get and the longer I preach and the more I study, to me, uh, so you would say, what does it look like to be ready? What is he talking about to live in watchfulness and readiness? What does that look like? Uh, The older I get, the more I... uh, It used to be... The theology was, it's just as simple as one, two, three, just pray this little prayer with me. I mean, that's how we were taught. I mean, how I was taught as a young believer. Man, get people to pray a prayer. I'm no longer convinced that's the case. I'm also dealing with something now that I never imagined evangelical Christians who sit in church every single week and they don't believe. Over half of evangelical Christians think Jesus is a sinner or was a sinner that he sinned. More than that, think that you can get to heaven without Jesus. You know, Paul was preaching, Paul was preaching to a king, and the king said, Oh, oh, Paul, you almost persuade me. To me, that I can't wait, I'm gonna preach a message on that sometime. Almost! And unfortunately, evangelical churches now across the world, there's a lot of almost believers. And I'm telling you, they're not half ready. They're not going into the kingdom of God. That's right. Let me just read a verse. You said both these things that I just read in Matthew 25, and then the passage from Luke, in both those cases, Jesus said, I don't know you. So let's read Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. In other words, you say to me, what does readiness look like? Let me just say it this way. It's serious, not shallow Christianity. We're living in a time when shallow is trending. But that's what what Jesus said He will do with the shallow. The half-saved. The half-Christians. the Maybe, maybe not. And all the rest who are absolutely not. He says... It is it's not a matter of saying, Lord, Lord. It says you got to do the will of the Father. That does not mean you have to be a perfect person or a perfect Christian. What it means is you have a serious heart to do the will of God. That means Amen. you really are saved. You want to do God's will. That's what he's talking about. Let me read another passage, Titus 2:11 through 15. Titus 2.11 through 15. Now the grace of God that brings salvation. That's what we want, right? We want what brings salvation. When I talk to a college kid or an old vet or a person in San Antonio, Texas, I want to talk to them a message that brings real salvation. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now he said this is what it looks like. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And I love how Paul said this, these then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So when I read this passage, I hear Paul is saying serious, not shallow, Christianity is what God is looking for. That's readiness. We say no to earthly passions. And that does not mean if you stumble into sin, you can't get forgiven. But what it means is your heart is to say no. Unfortunately, we are living in a time when more and more Christianity, some of the biggest churches in America right now, are totally involved in saying sexual immorality is okay. I don't think it's going to cut the mustard. Shallow Christianity. New Testament Christianity does not teach, it's okay. And that's what Paul was saying here. And he said, these things are what you should teach. Now I'm going to blow your minds. Is that okay? Now every time you get into this subject, everybody starts saying, well, Jesus said you can't know the day or the hour. You can't know the day or the hour. Oh, no, no, no. You can't know the day or the hour. I'm going to tell you exactly when Jesus is coming. Because he told us Jesus said, I will come in the hour when you think not. <laughs> right. And I see a lot of people in the cultures around me that think not right now. Yes. So let me read just a couple of verses. Even though Jesus said, we will not know the day or the hour, do you know what? He said to a serious Christian, a watching, waiting Christian, we will know the season. It won't take us by surprise, he said, specifically. Now let's read 1 Thessalonians 5. I would love to take the time to read all of 4 and 5. It's probably like no other passage in the New Testament, a description blow by blow of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes and takes his people home. But I'm just going to go toward the end. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-4. through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates... We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Look at verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day will, should surprise you like a thief. When you are a serious Christian, a real Christian, you walk in the light. And your heart will feel it, if I can say it that way. You'll not, he said it won't surprise you like a thief. And again, I, wanna, I put a screen up there. For some more scriptures that where Jesus talked about, it won't be a surprise. He told parables, you see a fig tree, the leaves sprout out. You know summer's near. He told other things about you. Look at the weather, you know what the sky looks like, and you say the weather's gonna be this. He said, but you don't know the times now. And so there are several passages like that. Let me read just a couple more. Luke 21, 34 through 36. In Luke 21, Jesus is speaking about the same subject of being watchful, being ready, looking for his coming. And this is what he said. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Who's he talking to? He's talking about people who aren't ready. He said, but you be careful. That's not how it's going to be for you. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth, but you be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And then let's look at Hebrews 10.25. I know Pastor Mark's been talking about this so much lately, how people are getting more and more and more out of the habit of coming to church. There's 15, few, 15 million fewer people going to church now than just three years ago in the United States of America. But let's see what it says. Let us not give up meeting together or some, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So he says that you, you'll see the day approaching and you just meet together all the more to encourage one another. Amen? So we need more church meetings, more prayer meetings, more Christian meetings, more revivals as we see the day approaching, not less. That's right. Now, as I preach this, I don't know what you're thinking, but I know for a, I know I've heard at least a hundred times someone stand up and say, "Now you know people've been saying Jesus is going to come back. They've been saying that forever. And he ain't here." Anybody ever hear anybody say that? I've heard a hundred people say that. Oh, people have been saying that forever. That's interesting. They're fulfilling prophecy. Let me just say this. Anyone who makes the case that watching and waiting for Jesus' return is not important are putting themselves in the category of the foolish bridesmaids. And everybody they talk to and influence with that kind of talk. They're putting those people, hey, don't bring oil. You don't need oil for your lamps. It'll be okay. It'll all pan out in the end. It'll be all right. That's not what Jesus said. Let's read 2 Peter 3. Interesting how Peter prophesied this. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. So who is it that's going to make fun of Jesus' coming? Scoffers and people who just want to keep living in their evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget, I love the word, they deliberately forget that long ago, God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But these waters... By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Talking about Noah's flood. But the, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But Jesus said this. This is, this, this is how Jesus said we're supposed to respond in Luke 21, 28. Jesus said, when you begin when you when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In other words, for the person who's watching, the person who's waiting, the person who's longing for his coming, the person who loves his appearance, you it's like, stand up, get ready, you're excited, your redemption's drawing near. And now I want to, you know, and I'm gonna put this in here right quick before I finish this last point. And I got a hot fudge Sunday ending, so just hang on, okay? <laughs> I promise you. Uh, but almost every time I preach, after all these years, people come up to Becky, and the comment they make, make most is oh, he is so passionate. Where does he get this passion? he where, where where does he get this passion? And they say to me, brother, you're so passionate. This is where I get this passion. This is what beats in my heart. Jesus gave us a job to do. He said, go, get the world ready. But he told us, you don't have forever. There's an end to this thing. Spend your life. Lay your life down. Give your life, helping others get ready and get into the kingdom of God. The Bible says they will shine like stars who influence people towards righteousness. Go influence people towards righteousness. Get them ready for the coming. And now I'm going to close with this tonight. You know, that one scripture said, don't let anybody despise you. I've been preaching a long time and I'm an evangelist and I try to be faithful to preach the whole counsel of God, whether it's popular or not. How many times have I been, had people label me, other ministers, oh, you're one of them doom and gloom guys. And I don't talk back, I don't say anything, but if they think the coming of Jesus is gloom, Come on. there's something very wrong with their mentality. The word. Folks, I preach tonight this subject. I preach tonight what Jesus called the parable of the the ten bridesmaids. Five were foolish. Five were wise. Folks, hidden in that very strong parable is the most beautiful ending you can imagine. It's not really hidden. It's there all along, but people overlook it. Right there in the in the midst of that parable, Jesus said in verse 10, then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. Amen. That is, the. it's not a fairy tale, but it's better than any fairy tale ending there could ever be. Those who were ready went in with him right. to the marriage feast. Folks, who, who of all people does not dread the wedding day. The bride. The bride is like, my wedding day. My wedding day has come. I have waited all my life for my wedding day. The bride is, she's not doom and gloom. Are you kidding me? It's the greatest day of her life. And the Bible says Jesus is the bridegroom. And the Bible says, we, his people, are the bride. Amen. We, those who are ready, went to the marriage feast. Wow, I remember our wedding day. Becky didn't come, she, she didn't come, you know, in that church that day with some slouchy old jeans with a bunch of holes. And man, she's been all day getting ready. <laughs> She blew my mind when she walked down that aisle. Right. Every hair was put in place one at a time. It was her wet honey. Did you dread your wedding day? No. The bride is looking for the wedding day. The bride is excited about the wedding day. It's it's anticipation. And I know that in our modern day Christmas is not always got the right emphasis. I know it's about Santa Claus and toys for a lot of people but I got to tell you when I was a little kid, my parents, they built up the anticipation. I couldn't sleep the night before Christmas because I was so excited about what was happening the next morning. I'm telling you, Jesus coming back and going into the, the wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb that for me is time 10,000 times 10,000 Christmas mornings all rolled together in anticipation. That's the message He wants. He will bring us into paradise with Him. I want to close with just a couple of scriptures from Revelation chapter 22, the end of the book. The end of the end of the end of the book. I'm going to read just verses 17 and 20 tonight. Those that were ready went in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? And the Bible closes with these words 27, uh, I mean twenty-two, seventeen 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, What? Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. In other words, the bride is saying, Come, 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 Lord Jesus. That's the heart of the bride. She's in love with the bridegroom. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. And then the uh, next to the last verse in the entire scripture, He who testifies to these things says, "Yes, I am coming soon." That's Jesus's promise. I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the heart of the bride. Come, Lord Jesus. So, God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to me.